Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk Podcast with Charlie Romeliotis, James Dubow. I am Pat Boyle. On this edition, we'll talk about the NHL trade deadline that is just over three weeks away. The latest on Jonathan Taves. And uh, can the NHL ever rival the NBA as far as movement during a season? We'll get into that coming up. Let's start with uh, Jonathan Taves. He misses practice at least being on the ice for the fifth consecutive day. But he was at Fifth Third Arena on Thursday working out off ice. The plan is he will uh, skate before the morning skate on Friday. He basically is not going to play Friday night or Saturday. And um, if he misses both, Charlie, that would be five games that he's missed due to illness since December 1st. Yeah. Uh, first off, it's good to have the band back together, guys. Uh, the mm-hmm. three of us back together. Um, but yeah, with the Jonathan Taves thing, obviously the fact that he, I think it was a little bit more alarming, the fact that they had come out of the break and he was, you know, and then he was dealing with this prior to the break too, missing the second to last game before the bye week. But then also in that game that he did play right before the bye, he only played like 15 minutes. He didn't see any penalty kill time. So it didn't feel like he was himself in that game. So then they come out of the break and he's not on the ice for five straight days and doesn't look like he's going to play at all this weekend. Uh, Felt a little concerning, uh, but it was nice to see that he was in the building on Thursday at Fifth Third Arena doing some off-ice workouts. Pat, I think he said uh, he shook Luke Richardson's hand and and Richardson said he uh, almost squeezed it off. So I guess that's a positive sign. Just the fact that Jonathan Taves is back around uh, the team. Yeah, and it's definitely worth, you know, keeping an eye on, of course, with the trade deadline coming up. And it was a little bit strange that he missed that Calgary game and then came back for the Vancouver game. I think that the Blackhawks, we can all agree, look like a different team when Jonathan Taves is slotted into the lineup. You have guys moving all over the place. You have, you know, your Jason Dickinson's going on scoring runs without Jonathan Taves in the mix. I think that kind of in a similar vein to what we talked about quite a bit with Tyler Johnson when he was out, I just think that the lineup fits together a little bit better when number 19 is in there and I think that to what Charlie said I think it was great to hear that he was on the ice today over at fifth third coincidentally Charlie was not at fifth third I'm wondering if there's a uh, correlation there if maybe uh, the captain was avoiding Mr. Romelli Otis you want to comment on that well there was a certain beat writer uh, on at the game on Tuesday that felt a little ill and was wearing a mask inside the locker room, but decided not to wear a mask around the media members. So maybe this this person got me sick. I'm not sure. I won't throw them under the bus, but I think that might be a little bit of a correlation. Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will. I will give us a hint. Um. Yeah. Okay. The hint is that he got locked out of his Twitter account uh, on Christmas. He has not been able to access his Twitter account since Christmas. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, 
which means it's not Laz. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, Just to put a bow on the Taves situation, you know, it's the non-COVID illness that is the label that's been, you know, been used to describe this. But I think the question is, is it a fatigue thing that he's going through? Is it truly the flu? Uh, Elliot Friedman uh, said on Hockey Night in Canada on Wednesday's coverage and then on Jeff Merrick's radio show that he thinks Taves went for for testing. So, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but the encouraging news is that he's back at Fifth Third Arena, that he plans to be on the ice on Friday uh, and probably looks to return uh, in the Canadian road trip, either in uh, Montreal or t- Toronto uh, when they play Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Uh, one, I want to. You mentioned Jason Dickinson. One little nugget that I that I picked up today in uh, at, at at the after practice, Luke Richardson was talking about Dickinson, and it's funny how when something happens, uh, how a chain reaction can happen. So remember when Max Domi uh, stuck up for the hit on uh, was it Patrick Kane? Yep. Yeah, and he ended up getting 17 minutes. He got an instigator. He got five minutes for fighting and 10-minute major, uh, and he uh, sat for 17 minutes. That was the time that they gave Dickinson some run uh, with Patrick Kane. And they also then slotted Lafferty into a center role, which they think is more suited for him. So, in essence, you know, Max going to the sin bin, sticking up for Patrick on, on probably a clean play, uh, it, it, it's, it set off this chain reaction where we got to see Jason Dickinson play with Kane. They thought there was something there. They looked to build upon it with Taves being out of the lineup and some of the other uh, injuries. And uh, lo and behold, maybe they found something. So forget trade little- trees. I like Pat. I like Pat Boyle's uh, connect the dots here. That was a nice little uh, tidbit, man. This is like when when uh, Drew Bledsoe got hurt and Tom Brady filled in, and this the rest is history, oh, right? No, it's nothing like wow. that. But we <laughs> we can all dream. We can all dream. Uh, hey, big news on Thursday, and it wasn't all the NBA trade. I mean, it was all the NBA trades. It's insane. We'll get into that in a second. But there was actually some movement. Uh, in the National Hockey League three weeks plus before the March 3rd trade deadline. Vlad Tarasenko and Nico Mikola traded to the New York Rangers from the Blues. The Blues get in return a first-round pick in 2023, a fourth-round selection in 2024. Sammy Blaze and Hunter Skinner with uh, the Blues retaining 50% of Tarasenko's price tag. So, so that takes Patrick Kane out of the New York Rangers thoughts of acquiring him, right? Yeah, I think it has to, uh, for, just based on a financial perspective, too. The, the fact that the Rangers ha- had to send Sammy Blay, uh, they needed St. Louis to retain 50% of, the, uh, of Tarasenko's salary. And then I think they also put someone else on waivers, too, just to make this work. And I was looking at this. I think the Rangers have $94,000 now in cap space. So unless there's some significant injury between now and the March 3rd trade deadline, it feels like the Rangers are pretty much out of the Patrick Kane sweepstakes. And I know ESPN's Emily Kaplan also reported that the the Rangers 
kind of pivoted away from Patrick Kane and Timo Meyer because they felt like the asking prices were too high. Um, but also there was some concern about Patrick Kane's hip injury, uh, the lingering hip injury that Patrick Kane has been dealing with for, for years now. And listen, guys, I said this on the pregame show the other day too. I think the Patrick Kane nagging injury storyline is really a bit overblown. It's the only thing that has really changed from now and maybe last year is the fact that his injury has now been public, but this is something that he's been dealing with for such a long time. Um, now, if you were a team that you were a, you were trying to acquire a, a player like Patrick Kane and you were planning to sign him to an extension, that I could see why there might be some concern. Like maybe you want to see what his medical outlook is beyond this year. But I think if we're looking at Kane as a rental, I I, I still think he could be a high level player, and that his his low production is more of is more indicative of the infrastructure around this Chicago team and not having Alex to bring it on his line and on the power play as opposed to his injury. But it is noteworthy though, that teams now know this information and what Kane has been dealing with and maybe are a little bit concerned about what it could mean for, for the future. I was fairly ready to dismiss the Kane injury thing when we spoke about it on Monday, Charlie. I thought that there was a little bit of muddying the waters going on, a little bit of trying to maybe drive down the price on a Patrick Kane a little bit. Now that we've had a team potentially that you know would have been a good fit for Patrick Kane, there was clearly some interest there, I think, on the part of players on the Rangers, maybe even on the part of Kane himself. Now that we've had a team kind of you know go in a completely different direction this far ahead of the trade deadline, you know, citing that as one of the concerns about Patrick Kane, maybe I'm willing to give it a little bit more credence at this point. And I think perhaps you might be right. The Rangers were looking at it as well. If we're not certain that the hip is 100 percent, you know, do we really want to bring that in as a rental? Because I don't really think there is a scenario where the Rangers would have signed him to a longer term extension. I think that probably would fit some other teams plans better. I think I'm maybe willing to give the injury thing just a little bit more credence than perhaps I was the other day now that we've had this particular domino fall. But I still think there are going to be teams that are going to be willing to, you know, take that risk and take that gamble and say, look, we've seen what Patrick Kane is still capable of. I thought he played a really strong game on Tuesday night against the Ducks. I thought that the passes he was putting on Jason Dickinson's stick were really good. I felt like he was moving around the ice really well. I think there's still plenty left in the tank for this season and beyond for Patrick Kane. And I think that a lot of teams will probably come to that conclusion, especially as we're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline and they're going to be under the gun to make those types of decisions. Yeah, look, the the lack of production as far as the points is more about his surroundings than it is the nagging injury. Right. Uh, I do think the nagging injury has at times affected his play uh, more than we probably know. I do think when he was hit uh, earlier this year and you know had to miss a couple of games that that was clearly an issue that, you know, he was dealing with that the, the hip injury. And then as he got treatment and, and what she's been doing for the last, you know, handful of years uh, and, and has been able to manage that injury. So he's been putting up almost a point per game prior to this season uh, numbers. That's because he's playing with guys like Alex to in, in years past. And now he's not. So, um, could there be a little bit of a question mark out there? I think it's more about the timing. I think, you know, when they heard kind of the the Brisson message that, you know, 
that they're going to make their decision about 10 days before the trade deadline of kind of where they might want to go. Some teams that were in that sweepstakes were like, you know what, we're going to get ahead of the curve. We're not going to go on his timeline. We're going to, we're going to try to do it on ours. So that's kind of, you know, how I see the situation. Yeah. I also see it as the, 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 the Rangers probably wanted to get out ahead of it, right. To have that little buffer period before, they wanted to maybe do their heavy lifting prior, but it was also Patrick Kane probably would have cost a little bit more. And also he has a high salary. So I obviously listed all the things that needed to happen for the Rangers just to get Tarasenko on the books. And I know they got uh, Nico Mikola on the, on, you know, as part of the deal too, but they needed to kind of have these moving pieces as well, just to fit Tarasenko on the books. I'm not sure what it would have cost for, for the Rangers to actually uh, have Kane in there too. And then also I wanted to point out, uh, ESPN did a story about this a few years ago. It was actually Vladimir Tarasenko that tried to convince St. Louis to sign Artemi Panarin in 2015. Now, they also needed Panarin's interest as well to go to St. Louis. But Tarasenko and Panarin, obviously, they're they're both really close with each other, given the fact that they're both Russian natives. So I think maybe when they had the idea that Tarasenko... I imagine the Rangers are probably the only team that he would have wanted to get traded to or mm-hmm. very close to it. The fact that he could go play with Panarin. I wonder if the Rangers are like, we can get a deal done right now. Like, let's just go, let's just go do it as opposed to kind of waiting around and not having a seat at the table once March 3rd gets closer. So I think that's, you know, that's probably a reason. Let's face it. Tarasenko comes with some injury questions too, with right. the, the, the shoulder injuries that, that he's been, de- he's dealt with. And it's really led to, you know, his uh, dispute with the St. Louis medical staff and has kind of created that bridge that kind of ended up leading to this eventual trade. Right. And also, if you if you look at it from the Rangers point of view, too, they're they're giving up the latter of the, the later of the two first round picks that they have. So whether it's their own or Dallas's, whichever one is later, that's the, the pick that's going to go to St. Louis. And also, I believe it's top 10 protected, too. So if if Dallas falls out of the, if, if Dallas goes inside the top 10, which is not going to happen because they're sitting atop the central, but they, they basically covered all their bases. And they also didn't have to give up any of their, their three young kids in Capo Caco, Lafreniere and Philip Hedel. So they didn't touch any of those guys. And I, I imagine if they were going to be in the Patrick Kane sweepstakes, they, they probably would have had to include some of those guys, especially if there was a bidding war for Kane. So, yeah, smart of the Rangers to kind of get ahead of this. But, yeah, you wonder where Patrick Kane's head is at, James, uh, figuring out, OK, if I do want to get moved, do I have to start acting quicker? And two, what other teams are now are on my list of teams that I would actually want to go to? Because the Rangers are probably on that really short list. I wanted to give you credit for mentioning kind of pairing some guys up, Charlie, just in some of these deals to make them more palatable. I think the Rangers saw that they had limited cap room and they decided that the ability to add Tarasenko and Mikola both, you know, a defenseman and a forward for the stretch run, I feel like for ended up being like 5.3 million, I think, in outlay for uh, cap hit purposes. I think that that was just something they weren't going to be able to pass up. And it's not something they would have been able to do with the Blackhawks unless they had gotten a third team involved. And that just gets all sorts of messy. So I think the Rangers definitely looked at this as an opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. I think to your latter point about the market now for Patrick Kane and kind of areas where not only would there be interest on the part of the team acquiring him to make the trade, but also the interest of Patrick Kane 
you look up and down the list of teams that are potentially going to have some cap space at the trade deadline. It's a still a fairly limited number of teams, but I think there could be some good fits and one that I think could end up being a really solid one based on just the sheer amount of LTIR cap space they're going to have whenever they decide to put Mark Stone on long-term injured reserve. The Vegas Golden Knights are atop the Pacific Division right now, and they could be looking at this as maybe one last opportunity to strike while the iron's hot before they have to start making some pretty serious financial decisions. That could be a location that perhaps would be not only appealing to Patrick Kane, but it could also be a team that would be willing to take him on as a rental as opposed to a team that might be concerned about their ability to sign him long-term. So I think Vegas would be a good place to start when you're looking at some of the other markets that could potentially add Patrick Kane into the mix. Yeah. I, I think besides Vegas, uh, how about Dallas and uh, Carolina seems like it could be a fit as well. I think Carolina is probably more in the, in the market for a center. Like I think they really need a second line center as opposed to a winger. Dallas was the other team I had in mind like that. Do you remember too, Pat? Um, during the 2013 lockout, I'm pretty sure Kane went overseas to play and he played with Tyler Sagan there, right? Mm-hmm. So there is that little connection where they have some sort of, okay, I know what I would be signing up for. Um, you know, and then obviously you would stay in the central division, but yeah. And then the other two teams that I potentially thought of was, was they were LA and New Jersey. Now, New Jersey is probably a long shot because it they're probably not at the stage of their trajectory to be trading assets just for rentals. So unless you can get Kane beyond this year, I don't know if I would entertain that. It also sounds like New Jersey is really in the Timo Meyer sweepstakes, and he's obviously eight years younger than Patrick Kane and would be more, you know, you'd basically have a, a guy that could play with Jack Hughes for the next eight years. Uh, LA, they have a ton of prospects, and I, I'm sure they're going to try to go out and get a goalie and a defenseman. Maybe they're going to be in the Jacob Chickren sweepstakes. I'm not sure if Patrick Kane makes sense for them, but just from an asset financial standpoint, you know, Kane would make sense. But again, Kane holds all the cards. Like if if those teams are interested, but Kane is not interested in them, right. then obviously there's no deal that that can be made. Assuming Patrick Kane wouldn't squelch a trade to either of those teams, I almost feel like Vegas and L.A. could be kind of pitted against each other because L- with Vegas, you're definitely not going to have to involve a third team in terms of salary cap retention. Yeah, the Blackhawks will have to take most likely a contract on to kind of help make some of those moves work. But Vegas will have enough cap space where they won't have to require a third team. And I think that would be a big benefit to going there. And then, as you said, Charlie, LA is looking for those pieces to add. They're right there in the thick of things in the playoff hunt, and they could conceivably catch up to Vegas if they make some good moves at the trade deadline. I think it might be interesting to try to play those two teams off of each other. I think that could be, you know, a potential option as well. I did want to mention one other team because there was this talk in media circles about, you know, players going home, et cetera. Do you think the Buffalo Sabres would have any interest in Patrick Kane? They've got a boatload of cap space in there. I think two points out of a playoff spot right now. Do you think that there's any possibility at all that they'd be interested in him or that he'd be interested in going there? I, I, you know, like I always think there'd be interest from the Sabres perspective. Um, I think, you know, he would bring a a ton of excitement to the, the fan base. But I almost think that that might be more of an off-season move that would have to take place and really consider, you know, does he want to move back to his hometown? Uh, and does he, you know, 
in, in the twilight of his career and and all the things that are going to go on with that. I don't know if that's a, a move that's made at the trade deadline. I think that would be more something that he would ponder uh, when he becomes a UFA. Yeah, I totally agree. I think mostly given where they are in the standings, like it's no guarantee they're going to even make the playoffs. So I think if Patrick did want to go back to his hometown of Buffalo, that's definitely more of an offseason thing. But also, if, if you maybe have it in, in the back of your mind that you would want to go back to Buffalo, I don't know if I would want the team that I that I'm going to go to give up assets for me just, you know, to, you know, I, that, that would be useful for them down the road uh, or, or trading for, for someone else. But I, and, and even so, like, I still feel like that would be more of a long shot. James, I'm with you. I think Vegas makes all the sense in the world, especially with the Mark stone injury. The fact that they have lacked game breakers over these last few years, it feels like that has been their missing piece. They, they don't have those players that can really, carry them on their shoulders when well they, they went and got eichel but he's not the same eichel that we're used to seeing i i don't right. think he's 100 percent healthy no right and that's and that's why they went out and got eichel because they lacked those players so if you add a patrick kane to that roster he's immediately going to be on the top six playing on the line with jack eichel which by the way those two played on the line together at the biosteel camp before sure the year did. and also he's going to be on the first power play like they're there's room for him, for Patrick Kane to just say, this guy is going to make us better. Um, it's also a fun place to play. Like that, that's a really, that, I, I've been doing these 20 question series where I'm dropping every time I ask, like, what's your favorite road arena? And the, every, like the popular answer right now is Vegas. So, you know, it's also a fun place to play and, and it's an easy path in the West too. Uh, easier than the East for sure. Thank you, Charlie. I'm glad you said it with the way the playoff structure is. Man, that road to the Western Conference final right now, it sure seems pretty flipping easy. No offense to the Edmonton Oilers, of course, who have, you know, Dreisaitl and McDavid, but that it just seems like a wide open road if someone's willing to go out and get the assets necessary to do it. And that just screams Vegas as a potential option to do just that. You know, I... um Look, I, I agree with a lot of points you're making about the Vegas being a, a natural landing spot for him. I don't know if it fits exactly where I, I always picture him in a in a big market. Uh, I, I picture him in the the New York area, one of those teams. Obviously, the Rangers not uh, being taken away from that equation with the Tarasenko move today, mm-hmm. but uh, or you know some type of original six like the Leafs or something like that. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, in the meantime, and then there were four, four home games remaining. That's if, that's if they take this all the way up to the May or the March 3rd trade deadline, they play on March 2nd at home. There's only four more home games at the United center for Kane and Taves and Taves is going to miss Friday nights against uh, Arizona. So, you know, I, I thought it was interesting, and you brought this up, James, the way he played against the Ducks. I I looked at him on the bench. He was really motivating to other players. He was really into the game. When he is um when he's primed to have a big night, there's a different look to how he skates. There's a a couple quick st- uh, steps to start his skating and he kind of carries himself even bigger than normal. Uh, and I just, you know, from hearing his comments before the game about, you know, how special it is to have played here. 
Uh, if you have a ticket or you're thinking about getting out there, do it because I think 88 wants to uh, give you a lasting memory. And I think it would be cool for the United Center faithful to return the favor. Definitely. Uh, I have to say seeing 88 play was a big part of the motivation why I went to Tuesday's game. Getting to see Charlie Romeliotis waving vigorously from the press box was uh, up there, too. But took, yeah, took I took you a while I, to note I was on the left side, not the right. <laughs> well, I was like, is he in like one of the suites doing like pregames? I didn't know where you were. You're a busy guy, man. I, I knew Patrick or I knew Pat was, you know, in his suit and tie and was getting I, ready to do the show. I, wasn't I, I was there. I was I was rare appearance in the press box that night. It was wow. during warm ups, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you were busy doing like some pregame stuff. I, yeah, I think you have a show before games. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, it Like like you said, Pat, I think perfectly summed up that there was just a little bit of extra jump and little extra intensity in his game and his approach to that whole thing. I thought you could see that from the minute he hopped on the ice for warmups. You could tell that he was really going at it, really kind of soaking everything in and really giving it, you know, maximum exertion. Not to say that, you know, he doesn't give it all every single night, but you could definitely tell there was a little, little extra jump in the game for sure. And I thought, you know, I definitely had all the thoughts that you guys did about, you know, the clocks ticking on, you know, the number of home games he might have left and, yeah, I thought he made that pretty clear in his comments, you know, after that game that he's just kind of trying to, you know, soak up every bit of the experience that he can. And if he ends up leaving, then, you know, he'll have done it on his terms, obviously giving up the no trade clause. And he's making sure to savor every moment of it. And you could definitely tell on Tuesday night. Whenever we've watched Patrick Kane for such a long time, and it feels like any time he gets a point, an early point, he, he, he starts to feel it right. And ever since he got that first point, it started to feel like he was so, he was so good. He was flying and it's crazy because he, he probably could have had three or four points later. Like Jason Dickinson probably should have had a hat trick, right? <laughs> they were so, I mean, and that's what, that's what, that, that's why I say like the nagging injury for Kane is just, it's a little bit overblown because if, if the brink gets on that line, he's probably burying a lot of those chances. Right. And, and then Patrick Kane, we're talking about how he had a four point, Five point mm-hmm. night against the Ducks again, by the way, because he had a six point night against them last year um, or the year prior. I can't remember, but yeah. My one question, guys, with this fact that with Tarasenko trade, right, the New York Rangers probably takes them out of the running in the Kane sweepstakes. We were looking at the last four home games. It could potentially be those final ones for Patrick Kane. Do you see a scenario where if some of the teams that Kane has been eyeing? Are, are not interested or now they don't have, could you see a scenario where he's like, you know what? I'm actually just going to play out the year here in Chicago and I'll figure it out in the summer because that that's also a thought that should absolutely yeah. I, probably I, cross I think his that, mind. I think that's definitely on the table. It, but yeah. if, if you, you had to, you know, put the truth serum in me and, and say, what do you think? I do think he's going to agree to be moved somewhere, but I do think that the Tarasenko move may change a little bit their um may heighten their awareness to to expedite this a little bit more mm-hmm. than the the plan that we heard earlier in the week do you think that is he gonna like do the thing where he tries to force his way to one particular team i've kind of gotten the vibe that he may be a little bit more flexible than that but i mean you guys are around him every day i feel like if he's you know, hard and fast on one team and they're not willing to pull the trigger on whatever deal. Like, I don't think that 
I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all that Kane says, all right, I'll finish yeah, up. I think he's going to have a short list. Don't you think, Charlie? Like, I think he's going to like, look, he's a student of the game. He probably knows exactly the line he wants to be on. You know, he probably has that almost picked out first where the team's at in the standings, legitimate cup contenders, what he's going to bring to it, where he would play uh, and be a part of their, their power play. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty tight list that Pat Persson uh, talks to Kyle Davidson about. Yeah. And we still don't know if part of that list means going to a team that would also have room to sign him to an extension, you know, because like even before all this happened, like before the season, I was thinking, okay, the Rangers, you can think about the Islanders, think about the Dells, whatever. But now it's like, okay, the Rangers are off the table because they just got Tarasenko. The Islanders just traded for Bo Horvat a few weeks ago. So it seems like they're off the table because they immediately extended him too. Yep. Yep. Signed him, obviously, to the eight-year deal. So it feels like playing on a line with Matt Barzell now is off the table. Um, New Jersey Devils, it's made it known that they're pretty interested in Timo Meyer. And so it's Kane's not their number one on their priority list. So it's, it's you know, the market has changed a little bit. Or maybe the market hasn't changed. It's just the fact that we're now closer to the March 3rd trade deadline. Everyone's kind of getting their priorities in order. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Whoever's interested in him will have a conversation with Brisson of what it will take. They'll have the neighborhood and the dollar amount, the AAV of what it will take to re-sign him. What are right. you guys looking for? What what does it start with a seven? Is it an eight or is it a nine? And is it is it a two year deal he wants? Is it three? You know what. The, the, the team that acquires him is going to have a, a really good idea of the ballpark that Team Kane is looking for for an extension. But I don't think there will be any guarantees at that. No. You know, they won't say absolutely he'll sign. I think it'll be uh, this is what we're looking for, and let's see how this thing goes uh, in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, it'll be like a little ball, ballpark estimate of like what the numbers could look like if there is an extension possibility as opposed to totally off the table right so i think that's yeah that's definitely going to be part of the equation i will say i would be utterly stunned if he got traded to the golden knights and they attempted to sign him to an extension looking at their cap situation i think that's about as pure of a rental scenario as you can possibly imagine so i think pat when you were mentioning earlier the idea of patrick kane wanting to play in a more historic or a bigger scale market i think he could still do that if it was you know made abundantly clear from the jump look we're only acquiring you for these couple of months and then you're free to go you know do whatever you want in free agency i think there could be kind of some interest in that just because he would only be away from you know his family conceivably for a couple of months and then able to pick his next long-term destination after that all right uh the nba trade deadline was today and uh, it was very active leading up to it. I mean, my God, do major players switch jerseys like they're, you know, doing laundry. It is <laughs> unbelievable. So Kevin Durant was was the biggest uh, trade that was made at the deadline. Uh, this on the heels of Kyrie Irving getting out of, uh, of Brooklyn as well. Boy, that, that Bulls-Brooklyn Nets matchup tonight looks a little different <laughs> than it did uh, a few days ago. Um, so I, the question that you posed, Charlie, is will the NHL trade deadline ever get to the point 
like the NBA has. And I, you know, I will say this. I thought the NHL's offseason, this past offseason, rivaled the NBA's with Matthew Kachuk going to Florida and Huberdeau and Uyghur uh, going back to Calgary and Johnny Hockey leaving Calgary and going uh, to Columbus. So, you know, I thought that there were some interesting movements that were made in the offseason. But when it comes to trade deadline time, uh, the NHL is nowhere near what the NBA goes through. Not even close. And I don't think they ever will get there, Pat. And for one, obviously, the salary cap dictates a lot of it, too. So when there are trades, teams have to move salary out first and then go make the big splash, right? And that's why a lot of those bigger moves happen over the summer because there are guys that come off the books. And it's also you... You basically have all summer. You can you can go uh, up to ten percent above the salary cap over the summer, and then you have to become compliant by training camp, right? So there is that wiggle room where you can kind of flush out some contracts to make room for those uh, players that you want to acquire. But also look at a lot of the moves that that happened over the summer, where you obviously mentioned the Jonathan Huberto and and uh, and Matthew Kachuk, right? Like it. It, it has taken a while for Huberto to really find his footing in Calgary, uh, which rightfully so, because he's the one that got blindsided by the trade. Matthew Kachuk is the one that w- picked his destination, right? And, but it's not working great for Florida right now because they're outside of a playoff hunt. The reason why I, I don't feel like we're ever going to see this in the in the NHL is because if you have two superstars in the NBA, you like you are an, an immediate NBA favorite, right? It, the, the same cannot be said for hockey. Like I just think of the Edmonton Oilers. They have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, the two best players in the world. And a couple weeks ago, they were scratching for a wild card spot, right? So they it just there's not as much pull as the 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 NHL players have as opposed to the NBA. I, I don't like how much control the NBA players have. Um, the the closest that hockey has to that is players putting no movement clauses into their contracts because they they want control over where they don't go more than they want control over where they want to go right and i think that's the as close as hockey is going to get um james i don't know what your feeling is about it i just don't think hockey is ever going to get to that point and quite frankly i don't know if i ever want it to get to that point because it is quite ridiculous how how quickly players just change their minds over where they want to go. And and it feels like all these owners and g- general managers in the NBA basically just have to accommodate what the player wants. Well, I mean, the owners are making money hand over fist. I think that's why you're seeing teams like the Phoenix Suns get purchased for $4 billion. I don't think that player movement has been necessarily bad for the bottom line of those leagues. And I think that when you factor in uh, the draft and those and you know being able to be traded, whatever your wishes end up being, I think that having a measure of player control in those situations is a good thing. And I'm totally fine with that being the case in the NBA. I think ultimately everybody kind of benefits. I mean, yeah, you could argue fans of specific teams don't benefit because you see Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant both leaving Brooklyn in short succession and they were in the middle of a playoff hunt and now they're going to be probably nowhere near uh, championship caliber. I think that the NHL, if they were to decide, you know, we want to encourage player movement a little bit, they could 
I think the key, obviously, is to change the salary cap up because the NBA does not have a hard cap. They do have a luxury tax. They've got all sorts of like little exceptions you can make to kind of construct your roster in a way that allows you to spend more money. I think that if the NHL were to actually want to encourage player movement, that would be a good place to start. And then also don't forget in the NBA, I think the maximum contract length is only five years in the NBA. So that by itself is going to increase player leverage and is going to increase player movement. And I think that if the league wanted to do those things, I think they probably could. I just don't think the NHL has the motivation whatsoever to do that because I think the current system benefits the owners and adds a bit of stability to the proceedings. And I think that as much as the fans love the chaos, there's no way that owners like it at all. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. You know, you make a good point with the, the not having the hard cap, having the luxury tax, having all the exceptions that the NBA has, but like, when they make deals, they almost have to match the money um, to for the player. And they're always like, we're talking about max deals that these guys are. And, and it, you know, like you always think like the ten and a half million dollar AAV that's on Kane and Taves are these immovable objects. There are no immovable objects in in the NBA. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and the other thing, and I'll say, you know, and I'll leave this for another podcast because I don't want to quite go down the TV rabbit hole. But guys, the the Bally Sports uh, situation with Sinclair and them to going into bankruptcy. There are several teams in the National Hockey League and Major League Baseball. And then and the NBA that have deals with Bally's. I think it's and 12. They are due to get a huge amount of money coming in in the coming weeks that they are not going to get because of the bankruptcy. And so cash flow right now, uh, especially because the national TV deal in the National Hockey League does not rival what the NBA p- play, pays every NBA team what MLB pays to every team and what the NFL play, pays to every team. So uh, money in certain places is even tighter than normal because of cash flow problems mm-hmm. because of the Bally Sports RSN situation. I will I will point out that being an NHL owner is still a pretty profitable enterprise if you want to base it on the fact that there are, what, 12 interested parties in potentially buying the Ottawa Senators. It's not like this is the Toronto Maple Leafs or the New York Rangers where they're this marquee franchise. They're the Ottawa flipping Senators, and there are still 12 interested parties. So I think there's still – I think your point's well taken just about the sheer discrepancy in the money that they're getting from their TV deals – it's still pretty good deal being an owner oh, in the well, NHL. Show me the Forbes list where where these teams from year to year don't go up. It always goes up. It's just a matter of yep. how much, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 like that's why you know the the NHL decided to uh, have two two TV partners because they wanted more money. And mm-hmm. you watch the NFL; they keep creating partners. Prime. Uh, Amazon taking over on that Thursday night. I don't know if that's worked out exactly the way they want, but like this is where I think uh, you know the NHL is is keeping an eye on streaming and and looking at how successful uh, ESPN Plus has been for them, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see where it goes. But um, I, I do think that the 
the RSNs that are are dealing with Bally's right now are having dialogue about you know some cash flow that they expected to come in that is not going to be there. Yep. I think for me, at the risk of our podcast producer, Tony Gill, booting me from this stream yard right now, uh, my biggest issue with the NBA is that it feels like a lot of the entertainment is off the court as opposed to on the court. Like I used to be an avid NBA fan years ago, like when I was in high school and college. And then ever since, I don't want to say the super teams, but ever since players just had total control over they, where they want to go, it feels like whenever a player is unhappy, they just, okay, I want to leave. And it's just like, oh, well, we got to accommodate this. There's there's really no checks and balances. For the NHL, I don't know if I ever want them to get to a point where, you know, Connor McDavid's unhappy. He wants to go get traded. And Edmonton has no choice but to trade him because Connor's not going to play. You know, it's like that just feels, it, it's not fair either. Um, you well, know, then you're never, the- you're never going to get... The, the, you're never going to answer the question, will the NHL trade down? Like, if you don't give the players more power and, uh, like, what? why should Connor put up with only getting to the Western Conference Finals? I mean, if he if he wants out, to me, he should – I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. Well, no, that that's fine. But he also signed an eight-year contract thinking that he was going to be in Edmonton for the long term. And then yeah, after- and he thought that they were going to add pieces to make their team better and be right. better defensively and finally find a netminder that can carry him to the cup final. And, and it hasn't worked out so far. So I no, mean, I totally, you know- I totally agree. I actually don't, I don't like if Connor McDavid wanted out and he, he says, Hey, respectfully, Remember when Steve Eiserman handled the situation a few years ago with Jonathan Druin? Jonathan Druin came up to Steve Eiserman. He was like, "Hey, I want out." And Steve Steve Eiserman was like, "We'll we'll trade you when it's right for us." And he basically was he basically was with the team for for an entire half of the year until they got the trade that was best for the organization. But they sent Jonathan Druin to the AHL to go keep playing, and he was Jonathan Druin didn't want to go down to yeah. the AHL. But you know, it was kind of like the, I'm I'm glad that Steve Eiserman took that stance where he's like, no, no, when it's best for us, then we'll trade you. But you need to keep playing down there because that's how you're going to up your trade value. So I think do that, you, yeah, I'm not. I was going to say, Jonathan Charlie, Druin do you really Connor think McDavid, that but, if Connor McDavid went to the Edmonton Oilers brass and said, "I want to get traded," do you really think they would ruin him? I don't think that would happen. Well, I think it would it would be like, hey, I, I I want out. Let's work together on where I could where I could go, right? And I think my biggest thing is if if the NHL does want to get closer to what the NBA does, then get rid of the hard salary cap because that, I think that's the biggest reason why there aren't any massive trades. I, I think you would see if there if teams did want to go above the luxury tax to go overspend for players or sign these massive players, then we would see more player movement. But because of the salary cap, that's why we don't see it. That's and my I think thing. the eight year contracts fit into that conversation, too. I think that if the contracts were shorter, I think teams would be more willing to take them on. The one thing I will say about the NBA that I like is it feels like every time you watch the NBA finals, like those are the, those were the two best teams all year. Right. My feeling is the the regular season doesn't feel and it actually over the years has gotten a lot better. Um, the regular season doesn't feel as meaningful as the NHL. Um, but sometimes in the NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs, you see the two best teams in, in the Stanley Cup final are not necessarily the two best teams that were in the regular season. Or you're like, oh, that team just got really hot at the right time. So that's where, you know, I guess what would you prefer? Would you prefer a regular season that really meant something? But, you know, there it's a playoffs that that really, um, you know, any team can win. Or would you like where the NBA, the regular season doesn't quite matter, but you're getting a really epic well, Stanley Cup NBA finals. We have the best. We have the best playoffs going. The Stanley no Cup playoffs are the best playoffs going. 
get rid of this garbage of uh, you know tr- trying to manufacture rivalries and making the two and the three seed square off in the same. Just do one through eight on each yep. side of the ledger, and then in all likelihood, you're going to get the best team. You're not going to have like Tampa face Florida when both are really, really good in the first round because you're trying to manufacture a rivalry. Guess what's a good rivalry? When two teams meet in the Eastern Conference Finals or the Western Conference Finals, and they're both good, and they put on an epic seven-game performance. Like, yeah. stop trying – like. Vancouver, who would have ever thought Vancouver would be the Blackhawks rival? Well, it was because they met three consecutive years. It wasn't because you shoved it down our throat because the Minnesota Wild are in the same division. We're going to play the Minnesota Wild in the first (laughs) round every year and see if that generates anything. I'm I'm completely over geographical limitations, by the way. I honestly think it should be one through 16 and then on down the board. Oh, oh, you want to you want free for all. Free for all? <laughs> Why not? One through 16, two versus 15. You want to try to so guarantee what, okay, that you're going to get the ask two you this. What about there's a, when there's a huge discrepancy with like where the eight seed is in the Western Conference and where the eight years? So some years you might have uh, 13 teams from the East. Or, you know, not 13, but uh, you'd have more than than eight teams from, from the East. I think that you probably end up keeping like the eight teams from each conference, but then the playoffs, that doesn't matter. I think that that would, and I know there'd be the imbalanced schedule. Like there'd be a lot that would go into that, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing like, say, you know, if the Boston Bruins had the best record in the league and then say, I don't know, the Calgary flames had the 16th, why shouldn't they get to play the weakest team that's in the playoffs? They earned it. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, we're trying to get rid of the current format. I'm not sure we'll ever get to one to 16. I I agree, Pat. I miss the one to eight in the conferences. It feels like, and it also makes it easier for a fan to track, right? Like when I'm looking at the standings, I'm like, okay, what about the Pacific? I mean, I just want to go, just give me obviously those. And I know in the past there were, you know, there were, it was like the three division winners. And then the, the last five were filled out. Like that was easy for me. It was easy for me for things to, you know, to keep track. But also, like you said, Pat, those Blackhawks Canucks rivalries, that was, that was in the first and second round, right? That wasn't, yeah. you know, in the, and even the LA, like I know that those were conference final games, um, this, you know, in 2013 and 14, but it, it wasn't a manufactured rivalry. It was, it was, those were the two best teams in their conference playing off against each other in a, in a, in a series that really mattered about who was going to be the best team in the West. The also the amazing thing are, are the draft picks that get thrown around in the NBA. So the Nets picked up four first round picks for Durant. Then they flipped Jay Crowder and they got five second round picks. So they picked up nine picks in about, you know, 10 hours. I feel like Mike Donahue might be listening to this podcast and be like, well, I would love five first round picks and four additional second rounders. Yeah. Again, it's just, it's just the landscape too of, of like those those draft picks are just so meaningless in the NBA because you can essentially just spin those draft picks. If another, if a high profile player becomes available, it's like, well, those first round picks don't mean anything to me because we're going to get LeBron for the next four years, you know? So. All right. Any, uh, one little tidbit, uh, Jared Tenorti going to return to the lineup probably Saturday night in Winnipeg. I talked to him, uh, today, Man, that guy, I hope 
I hope the hockey gods are are smiling on that poor soul. That what that guy has gone through this year. I mean, there is no question the the toughest sport in my opinion, and nobody has been tougher than Jared Tenorti and what he's gone through. And think about the the two instances too, where he gets cut in the the skate blade under his chin. It looked like he barely even knew what happened when it when it happened in real time. Like if you go look at the replay, he gets cut in the skate. He puts his glove up, looks down, and just kind of like just so nonchalantly just continues skating, finishes his shift, and then goes to the locker room and realizes that something is actually wrong. And then, yeah, how much? Yeah, stitches on the outside and on the inside. And on the inside, yep. And then the second play, when he gets a slap shot to the mouth, he just gently takes his helmet off and is just like just skates to the bench like as if. Nothing. I mean, it was so they got that dude's a warrior. I hope he scores yeah. a goal on, on Saturday and gets rewarded. Pretty sure either of those instances, I would have just probably ceased living. But you know what? Good. Good on Jared Tenardi, man. I gotta hey, pay. We can't we can't finish off on that note. We have a warrior on this podcast. Charlie Romeliotis. Oh, man. you know, there's playing hurt. Went to the Bahamas. <laughs> Apparently there was some bad sushi down there. Uh, that's affected some NHL players that he may or may not have seen. Then he comes back here. He's throwing up media members under the bus to decide who that, who is the person he's referring to James? Do you I'm know? referring to, I'm referring to John Deeds. I was John Deeds. Well, I think he might be referring to John but Deeds. I got to be on. I got to be honest. I do not think it was John that gave it to me. I was just kind of having fun. No, I think, but, I think it's way more fun to just assume that and see if he pays attention and yells at us. But also, by the way, guys, I'm the biggest softy. Like I, when I'm sick, I feel like I'm <laughs> down for the count. So the fact that I'm even doing this podcast, I don't even know how I yeah, pulled myself we, together. Charlie Tenorti will never be, be, be mistaken here. I get a paper cut and I'm down for the count for a couple of days. Pat, right. I, Pat, you and I are going to be feasting on that for a long time, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, boys. Uh, interesting schedule this weekend. Uh, the old Friday at the United Center and Saturday at the PEG. Uh, going to be some fun times. So I'm I'll sure see the players you, uh, are thrilled about the pregame that show on NBC Sports Chicago. All right, boys, that's going to do it for the Blackhawks Talk podcast. For James and Charlie, I'm Pat. For Claire and Tony behind the scenes, thank you for listening and watching. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe. We'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk podcast.